Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. In the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been thinking about putting a message together like this, and uh, lucky for you, you get to hear it tonight. Hallelujah. A message about masculinity. In 1982, a movie came out in the United States of America. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember it. I'm not. Uh, But uh, the actor... (laughs) The actor's name was Dustin Hoffman, and the title of the movie was called Tootsie. If we could see the image. There, there he is. And now this came out in 1982, and if you've seen the film, you know uh, that uh, Dustin Hoffman, a man, cannot, he's an actor in the film, and he, uh, he, he's having trouble finding uh, work as an, as an actor, and so what's he, what he decides to do is to reinvent himself as a female actor and all of a sudden he starts getting uh, parts and roles and he is hired as a female and so he spends basically the whole woman the whole film dressed up as a woman and acting like a woman and of course hilarity ensues you know why because a guy dressed up like a girl is hilarious Uh, we are now entering 2022 we are now 40 years later And in real life, I wish I could say this was a movie, we have another person pretending to be a woman. We could see that picture. This is four-star admiral Rachel Levine. She is, he is a uh, assistant secretary for health. Thank you, sir. Assistant secretary for health in our United States federal government for basically the last year. And uh, we are expected to not laugh at that picture. Uh, We are expected to just accept that. That is normal. That's reality. That's very serious. This is an adult decision that's been made. When I look at that, it makes me want to laugh just like when I look at Dustin Hoffman. Can I be honest with you? Now, I'm not here to to mock. I don't want to uh, be cruel. However, uh, what, what I see there is a declining level of masculinity in our world today and we are just expected to accept that as though it is reality so uh, I mentioned as I was announcing the service uh, earlier today that I would be awarding the man of a of the year award and so to do that I need to show you a video and we're going to see a video this is from security camera footage in a convenience store in Yuma, Arizona, which took place just a few months ago. You're seeing a man named James Kilser. Before you hit play, let me give you the story. James Kilser, who lives in Yuma, Arizona, happened to find himself in this convenience store at 4.30 a.m. as he's preparing to go to work when this happens. 
Armed robbers enter the, enter the store, intending to empty out the cash register. And James Kilser, he is a, formerly a Marine, but how many know there's no such thing as a former Marine? Uh, he is a Marine, Ura, even though a little bit out of weight these days, out of shape, that's okay. But I want to officially award this man Man of the Year Award. Because what you're seeing on this screen shows three people entering the store, one with a deadly weapon, their faces are covered, they are intending to commit armed robbery. And as they enter the store, as you can see clearly, keep that plan. I watched this about a thousand times, I have to be honest with you, because I'm inspired by that. This is not a guy who's prepared to do battle at 4.30 in the morning. He's just standing there getting his morning Gatorade, as he reported later, the news interviewing him. But he sees a threat and immediately and decisively disarms the attacker, hits him with said Gatorade right in the head. And, the, and uh, what turns out later to be juvenile delinquents, these are young people doing foolishness, he, he immediately neutralizes this threat and he goes on to hold the, the, the guy who's holding the gun there, red shoes, he holds him down until police come to the scene and they apprehend him. When they asked him how he was able to control the situation, he told deputies, the Marine Corps taught me not to mess around. I love this guy. And this is evidence for why we still need men in our world today. See, Rachel Levine would not do that. A wimpy, sissified man would not do that. A woman, a normal woman, would also not do that. I'm not cutting down women. Maybe there are some women who are trained martial arts and various things and so could, could be capable to do that. But I'm saying normally a woman would not do that. But a man, a masculine man, a man, no doubt, who has the same fears and insecurities as anybody else, he stands up and he defends people from getting hurt. Can I tell you, nobody got killed that day. Nobody even got hurt that day because of the strength of masculinity at work. In a world where masculinity is maligned and attacked, where men are cursed and mocked, where average man on television is a bumbling idiot and a buffoon. I don't know anything about this guy's religion. I don't know anything about his faith. But I do know this. He's a man. And we are lacking men in our culture today and in the church today. In the scripture we're about to read, we're going to read about some more men who accomplished some more incredible things for the kingdom. And I want to make a statement to you tonight we can take that down. The statement I want to make to you is this. Good men are dangerous men who have discipline. Good men are dangerous men who have discipline. And what we need in our world today, what we need in the kingdom of God, is we need men who are dangerous and yet have discipline. That's who Jesus was, and that's who we need to be. Let's read our scripture in Hebrews Chapter 11, 
the history, the, uh, the chapter, which is the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's an incredible chapter, which extols the incredible stories of great men in the Word of God, men like Abraham, Moses, and on and on it goes, the amazing stories. And at the end of this list of the men of faithfulness, and not only men, there are women listed here as well, but listen to what the author of Hebrews says as he is reminded of people who had great faith. Listen to what they did. This is Hebrews 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel the prophets, who through faith, say the word faith, faith, through faith, listen to what they did through faith. They subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Why? Because there was people praying for resurrection life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourgings and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. There's another one of those scriptures you don't see quilted on a pillow. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. He goes on to speak about the promise that we will all receive. Let's pray tonight. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We pray once again that we would be encouraged to to seek out masculinity in its purest form. God, the way that you have intended. I'm praying tonight every man that's here, every man that's watching, God, that you would encourage us not to be wimps, not to be thugs, but God, to be dangerous men under discipline. We thank you for all that you're going to do. Help us to encourage uh, manhood in our culture today, and we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, take my jacket off for this one tonight this is a message i've titled make men manly again and when i say to make men manly i'm not talking about big muscles i'm not talking about Dwayne the rock johnson i'm not talking about uh men with uh you know with uh that that are bruce lee karate skills I'm talking about men as God intended them to be. And this is just as much for women here as men because women have incredible power over men. Can we be honest? And there are many men who are not men because there are women who don't allow them to be men. And so I'm preaching to everybody here tonight. So the question I want to begin with is this. What's wrong with just being the nice guy? What's wrong with just being the nice guy? So there are two evils that men can fall into. One, as I mentioned, men can fail by becoming brutish thugs. 
This is uh, what has been deemed in our generation toxic masculinity. There is such a thing. In, uh, in other words, men who are just jerks, who are ego-driven, men who uh, uh, try to impress people through the strength or the power of their will. That's not good. What else is not good is men who fail by becoming effeminate wimps. Both of those are worthy of disdain. Both of these are rampant in our world today. Neither of these are defined as biblical manhood. And so um, some of the inspiration for this message came from uh, uh, Rabbi Daniel, Daniel Lappin, who recently had a letter that was written to him that I'd like to share with you. This is a letter written by a girl named Jennifer. She's 27 years old, and she wrote in to the rabbi saying this, Dear Rabbi, I have followed the advice of your books on, on money, and my fa- financial life was transformed by your ideas. Now I'm back to you for another one of my five Fs. I have dated more than my fair share of selfish, impulsive jerks. But I'm dating a, a, a different guy right now, and I just don't know. My parents think he's a really nice guy, and he is. But there's something inside me causing major doubts. I've listened to your podcast for long enough to know that I cannot trust my feelings. Some nights I lie awake, worrying that I'm about to end a relationship with one of the most easy to get along with guys I've ever met. A guy who could well become the kind of husband who would one day help me with chores, get up in the night with a crying baby. Some of my friends think I'm crazy to consider walking away from him. He's really easy to get along with. But Rabbi, I have to tell you that with every nice thing he does, I find him less and less attractive. Is there something wrong with me? Am I going to wreck my life by letting him go and finding a really bad boy to replace him? How can I explain that I'm ending a relationship because the guy's too nice and too agreeable? It sounds crazy. He's soft-spoken, super easygoing, not caring where we go or what we do. It's so hard to decide. He's kind and sometimes makes me laugh and has good values. So I feel like a spoiled brat whenever I start planning to end it. What's wrong with me not wanting to be with the guy because he's too nice? Signed, Jennifer. Now, Some of you right now are thinking, ha, girl, you just need to uh, lower your standards. You're being crazy. But I was amazed at the rabbi's response to this letter. He said to this girl, and he said to all of the listeners on this podcast, he said, if this man doesn't become a man, you are not going to be happy with him. You're not going to follow him. You're probably going to dominate him. And that's not going to work out well for you, Jennifer. And so the good news is that wimpy men like that guy can become better. We don't have to remain like that. But the point of this tonight is that what the world desperately needs is not just nice guys. The world doesn't need more nice guys. The world needs dangerous men who have discipline. I want you to think for a few moments about the life of Jesus. I want you to think about, now we know Jesus was kind. We know Jesus was compassionate. We know Jesus wept over lost souls. We know Jesus 
uh, was emotional when the time was right. We know that Jesus was in touch with his, uh, you know, uh, that he was not unkind and uncaring and thuggish toward people. But we also many times overlook that Jesus sometimes wasn't very nice to people. John 2, verse 13, the Passover of the Jews at hand, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. I pray that they're going to show this on the chosen. Man, this is going to be great if they would do this. And he uh, uh, turned over their tables, poured out the changers' money, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Jesus, that's not very loving. That's not very, very caring. That's not so nice. Now, Jesus got angry, righteous anger. Nobody else did. He is defending. Actually, Jesus is showing true love in this account. He's showing love for the house of God. Because he loved his father's house, because he loved the house of prayer, because he had a compassion for those things, he said, get these jokers out of here and whipped them with a cord. Matthew 23, verse 31. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? That doesn't sound like a happy Sunday morning service, Pastor. That doesn't sound kind. It sounds mean. It sounds like he is passionately rebuking somebody. That's because that's what he's doing. Matthew 8, 19. A scribe said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Sick burn. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch. It got you right here, didn't it? Matthew 5, some of the strongest language that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 5, 28, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. That makes sense. (laughs) Jesus was more than just a nice, agreeable fellow. He stood up for righteousness when the time was right. That when there was a threat to righteousness, here's this guy, Jesus came in to upset and overpower the forces of darkness. Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? The point I'm making to you tonight is that there are times in the life of Jesus where he doesn't seem very nice. And those moments reveal to us that Jesus was a godly man. He was a man who was capable of standing up 
for what was right, who had the strength and courage of his convictions, who's not going to let people roll over him. You know, we, we teach that uh, also in the same uh, Sermon on the Mount where he says if someone slaps you on the, on the left cheek, then you turn your right cheek to them too. And you just, you know, you, you uh, let people beat you up all the time. So there is a spiritual application to that, of course, which means don't come against your enemies. But we have to take it in balance with the other things that Jesus said. That he was not a pushover. Unquestionably, we know Jesus was compassionate, gracious, and patient. But sometimes you read the words of Jesus and it'll surprise you. The kinds of things that would get him flagged on Facebook and trolled on Twitter. And yet the Bible says that we should be looking to him and becoming like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What, what image? Into the image of Christ. That we should be becoming like him every day. Now we think that you know some of those things, uh, uh, w- the problem is that we have connected those strong feelings, the defense of righteousness, we've connected that to passion. I want to tell you tonight, uh, just because someone uh, has passion doesn't mean that it's unrighteous. There is such a thing as righteous zeal for the house of God. And God designed the male species to be dangerous. What I mean by that capable of great power and yet under control you need to understand this about men moms you need to understand this about your sons you can't baby them forever i know you you love to uh, you know cover their faces in little smoochies but you want to train your young boy to become a man one day a man who is going to stand up for for righteousness This is why boys need fathers. See, the mark of a childish man is someone who cannot control his dangerous capabilities. That's childish. We teach, we discipline young men because maturity means that you're capable of great power, but you can keep it under control. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one. On the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe. 
because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. I heard a man uh, speaking about this the other day, and he, he, he described this um, event that happened in, in his life when his daughter was young, that, um, that he was, uh, it was a time when she was still learning how to listen to his voice. Parents can identify with that, right? And so there was a time they went shopping, and he was carrying some things, and his, uh, the, the trunk is open to his car, and he's trying to load, and he says, he says to his young daughter, he says, I want you to stand right there. Don't move while I load these things into the trunk. And of course, a young daughter has trouble listening to instructions and begins to dart away from the vehicle. Now, you know that if that happens in a parking lot, that's, that's very dangerous. And so in that moment, he describes how he dropped the groceries with one hand, and immediately he shouted the name of his daughter in an angry tone. And he reached out and grabbed the hood of her jacket and yanked her back. Now, he described that if if you had come upon that situation without any of the context, you might think that he was an abuser. If he would have done that at home for no reason, that could be considered abusive behavior, yanking her hoodie all around. But what that really was, was a father showing love for his child, saving her life from the car that was passing by. That's what we need from men. We need men who protect the innocent. Uh, Mr. Stephen here, uh, he, he spends a lot of time out in front of abortion clinics. And it grieves my heart to think about how many wimps of men impregnating their girlfriends and wives, and instead of protecting what is innocent, what they have created, they're empowering the destruction of their own children. It makes me sick. Tonight, I want to inspire men, once again, to be dangerous, to be courageous. I want to say tonight that dangerous men can change the world. In comparison to the irresponsible thug who will burn bridges and end up in prison, also the other side is the effeminate wimp who melts under pressure. Neither of those are who God intended men to be. But a masculine man, a manly man, is capable of great things. Again, I'm not saying that a manly man is one who has a deep voice or has hair on his chest. You know, those are, that, that's, that's surface level. A masculine man uh, can be, can be uh, of any shape or size. It's not the outside. It's the heart. The masculine man is capable of great things for God if he will be disciplined. This is who our scripture is speaking about from Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to what was accomplished because men who were faithful to the kingdom through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens, of the foreigners. 
by and large, the people that are being spoken of there are men. I'm not saying there was no women involved. Listen, women can do incredible things too. Don't get mad at me, ladies. The story of Jael, look it up, J-A-E-L. That's an incredible hero female of the faith. But there are many men, the, the, the vast majority of, the, of who is being described here, subduing kingdoms, working righteousness, obtaining promises, stopping the mouths of lions, who is doing those things? Men who stood up for what was right. Who was it on D-Day? who charged on the beaches of Normandy directly into the hellfire coming out of Nazi turrets to defend their families back home and the Western way of life against tyranny. Who did that? Men. Men who had incredible courage. It's like David in 1 Samuel when it describes him, chapter 17, and he sees Goliath out there on the battlefield, taunting and cursing and blaspheming God. And he says, well, you guys are just going to stand here and take that? Forget that. I'll, I'll fight him. And he ran. He ran to the battle with a sling and five stones. Why did he do that? To take the head off of Goliath. He did that. That's, that's violent, pastor. That's what we need. It's men Men, uh, the kind of men who pursued Osama bin Laden into his pornography-filled spider hole and dispatched him to eternal judgment. It's men like Gen Jonathan Edwards, who at 80-plus uh, at years old stands behind a pulpit and preaches a message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That was not a nice, agreeable Sunday morning message. They said as he was preaching this message, talking about how sinners were suspended by spider webs over the gaping hole of hell, ready to consume them. And as he preached, people were slinking out of their seats and holding on to the walls as they had visions of eternal damnation. And there was this kind of a sermon that sparked a great awakening. Men like fathers of our faith, men like Pastor Campbell, who provided for me an, an example of what a man of God is supposed to be. Can I tell you that Pastor Campbell didn't always tell me things that I wanted to hear? He didn't stroke my ego. He didn't say, Oh, good job, Adam. You know what he told me? He told me the truth that I was lazy. And when I was late, he told me, Why weren't you here? He didn't, he didn't put up with my foolishness. Thank God. We need men to stand up again in this effeminate generation, to stand up with courage. It is men, by and large, who have the willingness to risk in order to find the reward. Is there, is there any reason why? You, you know, the, um, there are is, there is some dangerous jobs in the world. One of them is called a line worker. You ever seen these guys who go up on these cranes 150 feet in the air to repair those long cables that carry electric, electric uh, signal across the, the country. And so there's guys who are up there working with, you know, massive voltage ready to 
that one wrong touch could send them into eternity. And they're up suspended 150 feet in the air. Do you know who works those jobs? 95% of them is men. Yeah, there's a few females. My, my friend, uh, Taya's friend is one of them, Amanda, not this Amanda, different one. But by and large, dangerous jobs, that work is done by men. Why? Because they're willing to risk their lives to do dangerous work. Why? Because there's a, there's a big payday coming. How about working on the, on, on the uh, nuclear submarines? I don't know how many women are working alongside of you, Ramon. Would you say it's a, a lot of them? Yeah, 30%. That's pretty good. But wherever you find dangerous work, you will find men who are willing to risk. On the front lines of battle, on the front lines of missionary work, you'll find a lot of men. We need to celebrate that, not shun it. We need to encourage our boys not not to be safe. Encourage them to be dangerous and yet with discipline. You know, in um, the famous fable written by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this encounter when, um, when Lucy Pevinson is in a Narnia, and she's talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. You should go back and watch it. It's pretty interesting, um, or, or read it. Pretty, very interesting story. And they're talking about Aslan, who is the Christological figure in the story. And Aslan is represented in this story as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Lucy asks Mrs. Beaver about Aslan and asks, uh, asks her, is, is Aslan safe? And Mrs. Beaver says, oh no, he's not safe. He's powerful, but he's good. That's a definition of biblical manhood. It's not safe, but it's good. This is what we should strive for, men of God. We should strive for greatness, not safety. We should strive to make an impact in our world. The greatest explorers, many of them, most of them, men of courage, many inventors. I'm not limiting girls. Listen, I've got two girls. I've got three girls in my, I've got a lot of girls in my house. And I do not intend to limit what they can do. They can do anything they set their minds to. But men of God, it is men who accomplish great things because men are willing to take the risk. There's this account of one of the church fathers. He's a theologian and an early church uh, uh, saint. His name is Polycarp. At 86 years old, I might have shared this story before, but worth repeating. In the year 155 A.D., he's of the third generation of Christians after Christ. And at 86 years old, after living, a, uh, after living a full life for Christ, he is likely the last surviving person to have met one of the 12 apostles. He was a disciple of, of uh, John. And this importance, this unique position in taking the gospel from one generation to the next was not lost on him. At 86 years old, he's facing death. There was a persecution breaking out in the city where he lived at the time called Smyrna. That's modern-day Izmir. Many Christians at the time were rounded up for interrogation. 
And they were required to renounce Christ and bow before the Roman emperor before they would be released. And if they refused to bow to the Roman emperor, they would be tortured and then killed. The Roman public began calling for the death of this man, Polycarp. Again, 86 years old. He probably got better things to do with his life. For a time, he retreated and stayed out of sight, using the time to pray. Three days before his arrest, he spoke to his companions and said that he had seen a vision in a dream that his pillow that he lied on surrounded him in flames. And he predicted, gentlemen, I will be, I'm going to be burned alive. Three days later, he was captured. He was taken by carriage to the stadium for execution, escorted by the Roman proconsul. The Roman guard tried to convince Polycarp to save himself. All you have to say is these words, Caesar is Lord. That's all you have to say. No big deal. Polycarp refused the very thought of renouncing Christ. There were throngs of roaring spectators. Remember, they would kill Christians in the Colosseum for entertainment. And the stadium, as he entered to the cheers of the unwashed masses, those with Polycarp that day said that they heard a voice from above that said these words, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And according to those who were there, They lit him on fire, and the flames grew, but they did not consume him as they expected. The fire began to form a circle around him, and his body was not burning. And since the fire didn't burn him as they expected, finally they ordered an executioner to stab him with a dagger. And it was his blood that ran out of his body that extinguished the flames around him. You know what he did that day? He played the man at 86 years old. He was willing still to suffer and die for the sake of Christ and not wimp out. All of his life pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the true man, the man that we should all look to for an example. So my message to men here and to women who have men around them You should encourage men to play the man. It's becoming harder and harder in our generation. It's becoming harder because we have fewer and fewer examples of what righteous men look like. But men who are here, I encourage you, play the man. What does that mean? It means have discipline. Don't be lazy. Don't be foolish. Be righteous. Stand up for what is true and what is good and what is beautiful. Protect the weak. Can you see yourself in that convenience store at 4.30 in the morning doing what that man did? I pray that the men, of this, uh, the men of this congregation would be like that. That spiritually, be a man of prayer. Spiritually, when the attacker comes in, when the spirit of death and illness and sickness attacks our church, that we'd be in there disrupting the plans of the enemy. Women and mothers, don't discourage boys. Don't discourage them from taking on risk in the name of safety. I know moms want their babies to be safe. The 
the point of being a man is not being safe. Stepping out in faith oftentimes requires lack of safety. We've got to train our sons. We've got to train them. They must have discipline because without discipline, the danger is useless. We've got to train them in righteousness, in self, self-control, and holiness. My call tonight is make men manly again. Don't accept the lie of this generation. Don't accept the pathetic excuse for men that we see on the screens and in the culture. That's not manhood. Neither the thuggish behavior of criminals nor the effeminate whimpery of the ruling class. But let us seek godly men again that we, by faith, can see what they saw subduing kingdoms, working righteousness, obtaining promises, stopping the mouths of lions, quenching the violence of fire, escaping the edge of the sword, out of weakness made strong, valiant in battle. That's the kind of men we need in the church and in the world today, in the kingdom of God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close. God is dealing with hearts. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.